Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, your host for this podcast and the global community that has rallied around it. During this expert coronavirus update, I felt it was essential to learn from a national healthcare innovation leader how the pandemic is impacting the health of our K-12 students across the nation. Josh Gollum is the CEO of Hazel Health, a healthcare company offering all children access to healthcare through in-school virtual medical clinics. Hazel Health is now partnering with schools and families affected by COVID-19 for new telemedicine offerings. While together, Josh shared what his company's partners are experiencing, how they have quickly responded to continue to take care of their students, and how they are also creatively supporting students' families. I'm thankful for Josh's continued passion and determination to ensure our next generation of leaders continue to receive the healthcare they desperately need during these trying times for our nation. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Josh, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. I'm eager to gain your perspective regarding COVID-19 and the impact this pandemic has had on the physical and mental health of our K-12 students across the nation, given they are not allowed to attend school at this time. Thank you for having me. Well, Josh, it's great to have you here today. And before we dive into this very important and timely conversation, a bit of housekeeping for our audience while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas with our guests and interact with the entire community. Lastly, subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Josh, I'd like to first start out by asking you where things currently stand due to the coronavirus outbreak in regards to what our educational partners across the country and the ones that you work with specifically at Hazel Health are experiencing as well as where things stand more broadly across the country. And for our audience, we are recording this episode during the week of May 11th. It's important for me to date these episodes due to how fast things change with the coronavirus pandemic. So with that, Josh, I'll open it up broadly for you. Take it from there. Yeah, thank you, Mike. And it's good that you flagged the week because it does seem to change on a week-by-week basis. And so, yeah, from a broad perspective, it's, you know, first I'll share, it's interesting as a parent. So I've got my own three boys. And just to experience how quickly schools across the country are having to adapt to distance learning. So it's, I mean, it has been pretty remarkable when you think about the you know, more than 60 million school age kids all of a sudden shifting literally within a matter of days from getting all of the education happening in an in-person setting with all that program to shifting a model where, you know, our kids can get access from home in some way. And I know all of us have ideas on how that could work better, but I, I just had to get my hats off to how quickly that system has responded, even with all the imperfections that to do that at this massive a scale is pretty remarkable. And as parents, a lot of times folks tend to think that the only role that these schools are playing is around the education piece. And, and obviously that's the most important paramount, but a lot of folks don't realize just how many other services kids are getting at the same time through their schools. And so, you know, for many kids, the school nurse is their kind of first form of care. Unfortunately, for some of our families, it's often also their, their current primary care. 
but there's everything else from you know, behavioral and mental health that they may get from a school social worker or someone else to even things like food. And I think one of the interesting facts a lot of folks don't know is that about 30 million kids each year get their meals uh, either in full or in part from the school. And so all of a sudden, you take away this the school infrastructure that kids are used to having, right as their own learning, but for their health, their mental health, and also just their nutrition. And to have that that go away over the course of weeks, it's it's pretty dramatic. And and you know we can share some of the things we're seeing, but I think we're finding our partners across the country are trying to find you know, a ton of different innovative ways to support their families through this process. And so what have been some of the cycles that you've seen? I mean, as you mentioned, you are giving your hats off and you're congratulating a lot of your partners in regards to how fast they have responded across the country. But when this pandemic first broke out from the educational system across the country, what were some of those first cycles or phases you saw? Was it like shock? Was it like, oh, my gosh, what do we do next? How did they mobilize? What were some of those initial moments when we started shutting the schools down across the nation? How did they respond? Yeah, I, you know, all of us, I'm sure felt a bit of a shock, but I, I'd say I give my hat that to how quickly the innovation world turned. And so, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about like how we work with some of our folks because we're, we're so focused on the health aspect side of things, but it gives you a little bit of a lens. I'd say within the, the first week of the announcements around school closings, we were working with a bunch of our current partners, including some not, not too far from you in Colorado, to say, well, gosh, how do we get all of these services that families need? To their kids because it's all of a sudden this sort of lifeline for a lot of our families starts to go away. And, and one of this, this data point for your audience is a lot of folks may not don't realize about 40% of all kids in the country have their health insurance either via Medicaid or this thing called CHIP, which is basically sort of a, a slightly different version of Medicaid. But so essentially some version of government-funded insurance because they are lower income. And so, and you know, and Schools exist for all kids, and a lot of services will talk about 100% access, but we have a particular focus in the work that we're doing on that 40% or so. And so what we found is right out of the gate, schools were trying to find really creative ways to get their family the resources. And actually, one of the very first models that we talked about was we called them outposts, which is you'd have these districts that had multiple sites, but they knew that families needed to get food. They also knew that they wanted to get some families access to Wi-Fi. You can only do distance learning from home if a family has some access to the internet. And so a lot of school districts are finding ways to get them portable Wi-Fi that they can now access from home. Schools were giving loaner laptops to families to be able to, to have the same access that the family that had that would have. And so but the big question was, how do you get all these resources to families? And so the, a lot of the, the first couple of weeks was that mobilization of resources outbound. And so the outpost idea was you know, districts finding places where families could come to get those supplies, get that food, get what they needed. On the Hazel side, we were trying to figure out if we could actually have healthcare access via those remote sites. Because you know, even though the big focus has been on COVID, you know, there's still kids that have asthma medications that need to get refilled. There's kids that have, still get pink eye. You know, all those other things that are part of the kids' reality that there is a desire to get. And so, so priority number one is to find these common convening points. Unfortunately, within the matter of weeks, if not days, there was a realization that there was still just too much of a public health concern about having convening points. 
And so we found so many creative district ideas on how to get those resources to families. And so some of them are still using that outpost idea where a family could drive in and sort of wait their turn and then have those supplies and access brought to them in the car. Other communities have set up outposts at places in the community that are safe and make it easy to do both like the, 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 the distribute those supplies, but do it while also maintaining social distancing. And so I think that phase two is getting on everything they need. And then what I'd say what we've seen over the last, gosh, 30 days in particular is you still have all these folks in school districts that are working and working hard for families. They're just doing a lot of it from home. And so you know, we are most often contact day-to-day at the schools as often the school nurse. And it's been amazing to see the role that they're still playing and from home fielding questions from families that may have questions about COVID broadly or you know, their child is sick or some of their house is sick and they want to you know get some information. But a lot of schools, a lot of families are still reaching out to the schools for all these other services separate from the education. And you know, with, without a whole lot of tools, the school folks really seem like they're stepping up to try to meet them where they are. Can you quickly, because I haven't found the answer to this one yet, Josh, can you quickly define how many of our students across the nation do have access to broadband? Maybe we even start there. I mean, you, you mentioned that about you know 40% of our students across the nation are either on, on CHIP or, or Medicaid. But what is the access look like for our students around broadband in and of itself? Okay, you know, that's a great question. Mike, I don't have that data with me handy. I want to say 75 to 80% range, but I may be wrong on that. And there's been a lot more shared recently. And so hopefully that's that's growing because that's part of that, that delta and gap is a lot of what school districts are trying to solve for. But I will, I will follow up after this podcast and get you the real data. No worries. It, we don't need a specific number and I appreciate it. But the, the point is, is that it's still a definite problem. And that's one thing as an aside, Josh, that we're seeing with this pandemic is a lot of things becoming exacerbated or magnified in regards to just structural issues across our country. This being one of them, that it's now being even magnified more. What I'm hearing is, is that we still have got to work our tail ends off on distributing broadband across our nation even more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Mike. And, and it's interesting because a lot, like you said, it's exacerbating a lot of the deltas already. So a lot of the places that, that Hazel had been operating already was in more rural communities. And you know, part of the, you know, these were often places where they're you know, even more so don't have a lot of great broadband access. Again, in our world, a lot of these are places where there's not a lot of local doctors. You often have great local clinics, but there's not very many of them. And so, sadly, also, like something like California, where we've got a lot of folks in the rural, uh, a lot of districts we work with in the rural parts of the state. You know, these are, you know, if you think about it from, you know, from equity perspective, right, you'd love all those families to have access. But if you think about it from a public health perspective, it becomes even even more important for those families that have access to things like healthcare, the ability to access health and because a lot of those, you know, in, in the Central Valley, that's where a lot of our food comes from in California and more broadly in the nation. And so as a nation, we should really want all those families to have easy access to these things so that folks who are you know who may have early symptoms can get diagnosed and you know and treated and stay at home and away from the food supply. But a lot of those families need to work. And so it becomes so important to close that gap if we want to really be able to get the, you know, the all the everything back and running soon for the country. A lot of it is predicated on this idea that we can have a healthy, safe workforce 
and their kids able to go back to school safely too. Without those things, you can't really imagine. It's a lot harder to get to where we need to get to as a country. Well, and I know you and the team over at Hazel are working tirelessly to help with those efforts. I want to kind of set the stage a bit here, Josh. I want to hear from you what Hazel Health is for our audience so they understand the exciting company that you and the team are building. But then from there, I want to springboard into what did Hazel Health look like in the marketplace pre-pandemic and now in the pandemic? Because you know as well as I do as an entrepreneur and as an innovator, a lot of us have pivoted some of our business to help with this crisis. So I want to understand where you guys were before the outbreak and then where you're at now and then where you see this technology, where you see your platform and your offering helping more long-term. So let's first dive into, give us a little bit of that uh, elevator pitch on Hazel Health and what you guys are up to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what Hazel does, we partner with school districts to establish virtual health clinics at the school site. So this is, again, in the pre-COVID world, we would partner with the school district. And then essentially, if you imagine at a school site, we set up you know, both an iPad for a child to be able to see a doctor, but then also all sorts of equipment at the site. So everything being able to take a child's height and weight, Blood pressure, pulse ox, all that you can imagine that there's this and we create sort of a, a pretty robust version of a health clinic in a school. So if parents have to consent, it's an opt-in model. But if I as a parent consented for my child, when they come into the school office and hopefully there's a school nurse, uh, if it's appropriate, they can basically start a visit with one of the Hazel doctors at the other end. And you know, our, our objectives had always been to, you know, number one, for kids that are healthy but not feel well, get them treated and back to class to increase their instructional time, but then also get into healthier in general so that they can miss fewer days. All of this data that's shown the high correlation between attendance and almost any outcome you care about for kids. So the idea was that this would help us keep kids healthy, keep them in school. And we serve all kids, but we've had a particular focus in the kids who may not have easy healthcare access otherwise. And students, how are they receiving care before Hazel Health? What was the kind of the traditional model that you were seeing out there? Previous to Hazel, I used to run a company called, uh, not too far from me, called Paladin Health. We were doing a lot of in-person primary care medical homes. I'm a huge believer that every every child, every parent, every adult should have a primary care doctor. And so that's always been the goal. We find as we've rolled out Hazel across the country, we found only about 50% of families tell us they have a PCP for their kids today. Wow. And it doesn't mean that they weren't necessarily assigned one by their health plan, but it's in terms of do they believe they have somewhere they consistently go. It was interesting in the other 50%, about 10% will list an emergency room. That's what they'll tell us their primary care doctor is. And then the other 40% will typically list nothing. It varies a bit community to community, but it's not uncommon for us to see. And so priority number one for us is you know, we're, we're managing a bunch of the acute illness things that happen and that families want to get solved for and address. And particularly, you know, the goal for us is can we help see these acute things, get them treated quickly, help the parent who otherwise might have to leave work, lose their pay for the day to get their child to doctor's offices in a way that we can solve that get the kid back and healthy, but also be a huge service for the families. And for the kids that have a primary care doctor, the goal is that we're working, uh, communicating regularly with them so that it's not fragmented care, but it actually operates in a way that's, that drives continuity of care. For the other 50%, it's you know, sometimes our experience is that for a lot of those families, we often pent that need on the healthcare side. And so some of these kids haven't been seen a doctor for three years or four years, and so we find ourselves playing a role of, you know, number one, solving whatever that acute thing might be when it brings a child in for the first or second time. Two, there's often chronic disease issues underlying. So it's 
everything from seasonal allergies to undiagnosed asthma to something else that the ADS can be started. If you identify those, can you start to get it either treated or, or if it was treated but is no longer being or sorry, was diagnosed but not treated, can we make sure they're on a treatment plan? But then I think part of our priority is also to bring them back into the healthcare system and to connect them to a local PCP because we think that's key. And that what's been great about that is you know, often we've seen local doctors when they first hear about Hazel the first time, they're a little bit nervous about, gosh, this idea of Hazel to come and take my heart business. And what we found is actually the opposite, is that, that we're able to do some of the things very easily in our clinic setting that they, they don't always have appointment time for, but we're able to push more kids in there that need to be getting their well-child visits, the really high-value work that a primary care doctor can do. We're actually driving that up for that 50% that was regularly being seen. And that's that's the big win for us is to be able to solve both. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. And of course, uh, I'm a huge fan of anything that's going to make the future of this country and, and our community members, our younger community members, healthier, both mentally, physically, or otherwise, I'm all in. So thank you for this work over at Hazel. Josh, it's so inspiring. Now let's talk about how does life look and how does the company look during a pandemic? What has changed for Hazel? Where are you guys at? How are you helping the country with this crisis at this time? Yeah, I mean, the, the most immediate thing that happened is the first school closures were announced. Was, you know, that's the main place that had been the only place at which we were delivering care to kids. And so um, I'd be quickly regrouped. And actually, a lot of our school nurses uh, were pinging us, you know, as soon as the, the fear of that had happened, saying, hey, listen, I'm not sure what's going to happen with some of our kids. I know they don't have a PCP today. I know they, you know, the families have been relying on Hazel. You know, can you help? And and so we quickly stood up a version of Hazel where families can access us, us from home, whether it's from their you know, smartphone, computer, tablet. The idea is, you know, we're, we're we try to build our model around sort of the, the lowest common denominator around technology access, so that a family even without Wi-Fi could be able to connect with one of our doctors in. And so we started doing that um, immediately. And so for you know, most of the places we operate now, um, it's the, they're sharing with their families that they can access Hazel from home, um, which has been great to start to move in that direction. I think, I think our view is that the, you know, the, the model, the future for us as families is just being able to support families and kids wherever they are, whether it's at school, at home, um, but the idea that, that especially for parents, and I, and I think that when, there's a lot of different things we're hearing from our superintendent partners of what, what back to school might look like in the fall, um, but that we have to be able to support whatever that model might look like because the same, you know, the same child, what we're hearing at least could be existing is, you know, they may be at, um, at school five days a week, just like before, maybe three days a week. There may be times where some kids are going to different schools and before because they're trying to increase have smaller class sizes to increase social distancing. But you know, either way, if I'm a parent um, and I'm I'm back at work, but I've got all these concerns and worries about my kids, I just want to know that wherever they are, there's a way for them to get care. And um, and and yeah, and particularly for the families who are using the ER before, the worst thing we could be doing is sending families who shouldn't be in the ER in there now to to help reduce the spread. And so the goal is to wherever the families need it, whatever care they need to be where they are, as opposed to having them come in to where the, the, the healthcare providers are. And we'll be sharing in a little bit with our uh, 
community where we can find these resources online with Josh and all the wonderful work he's describing here. But Josh, one thing I do want to ask, because I'm imagining you're starting to see some of these things pop up. What are your nurse partners, uh, the, the school nurse partners and your own team members at Hazel? What are you guys seeing that's different in this pandemic versus pre-COVID with our K-12 students across the nation? Are there more mental health cases bubbling up, physical or otherwise? What's different now versus pre-pandemic? Yeah, yeah. So I'll say, well, first, the one, there hasn't been a lot published on this yet, but one thing we are definitely finding, I'll say right now, it's still anecdotal, is actually the rate of just kind of day-to-day illness has gone down a ton um, in the sense of, you know, if, if you want to keep kids from spreading colds and like pink eye and life, like all the stuff you do, like the real world of, of raising kids, it's a lot less spread when kids are all secluded at home. So I think that's like one of the very few upsides for children's health right now is that, is that physical health in general has gotten better overall because there's just, there's not spread of any kind of disease separate from COVID. Um, I think when it comes to COVID itself, I think the main thing that our providers have found with both kids and parents is anxiety. And you know, we were before schools closed, you were, we were finding a ton of kids showing up in the clinic who you know, they, they they showed up because they said they didn't feel well. But when we, our doctors actually started to talk to them, you know, what we really kind of quickly heard was it was really fear, like this this fear of oh my gosh, can you know, if, if, do I have COVID? Am I going to get sick? Um, and it was interesting because as the dialogue changed and people started to learn that you know, the children aren't the um, generally pretty high immunity to it, that a lot of the fears we're hearing from kids was about, well, gosh, could I get it and spread it to my parents or to my grandparents or older relatives? And I think there's a lot of, you know, we're seeing with a lot of our kids and families, just fear of the unknown. Um, and uh, you know, some of that's transitioned over where folks need behavioral health support. And um, thankfully, there's a lot of great companies doing that. We have a few partners who are working with to help uh, when kids need that kind of services. Um, but I think there's our role, we find that the parents, actually with parents in particular, is a sense that they want to be able to have someone that they can talk to, to get basic questions answered, um, and to feel like they have a sense of, of um Control would be the wrong word, but just a sense of information. And I think this is the biggest gap that I often find when I compare myself as a parent to other parents. So when I, even though I'm not a physician, I obviously work with a ton of doctors. I can call anyone and ask any question about any symptom that comes up, which is it's still, you know, COVID is still scary for me as a dad, but I know where to get information. But if I'm a family that, you know, that, that I don't speak English as a native language, I don't know anyone in the healthcare system, I don't know how to access it. It's frightening to, during these times to not know where to go. And what we found is some of the, even the visits that come in from Hazel, I'd say that the, the starting point sounds like it's to actually you know, treat something, but really what the parent is looking for with that visit is some sense of reassurance and information. And it's not an all uncommon for you know, what might start to say my, you know, my child wasn't feeling well this morning quickly then they ask questions about their um this is the parent example like hey you know i noticed my mother the child's grand grandmother had this or what what do i need to think about for her or my you know my brother has these these other issues and where a lot of these families are just trying to find a way to get the information they need um and and i think in, in times of pandemic that can be as valuable as the care we deliver is finding a way to help people feel confident to know what's happening and not to reduce the uncertainty. 
Well, let's talk about information. Let's stay on that topic. Let's discuss where can people find this work online? I mean, I think what you guys are doing at Hazel is so important right now. Where should our listening community head to, to get information, to get the resources or to share with others, whether, you know, websites or otherwise, where can we find this information, Josh, in regards to interacting with Hazel? Yeah, so Hazel, so our, our website's www.hazel.co, not the, not com, but .co. Um, we've got information there. Folks are welcome to have interest in learning more about Hazel. Reach out to me on our LinkedIn site, my LinkedIn site, or Hazel's LinkedIn site. Um, but I'll say we get to be the messenger on this. I'd say, you know, the, the real heroes are the folks that are, um, we're proud to be alongside the school districts. I would say for all the parents out there, um, like I, I think we should all be proud of, of kind of the work that our schools are doing and the efforts they're making, despite very little preparation. I, I know there's you know, all these running jokes, um, at least among people I know, about the greater appreciation for teachers now that we're all doing our own version of homeschooling, how hard all this stuff is. Um, but I think there's a lot of innovative stuff happening out there, well outside of Hazel. That that is, it, it, yeah, I, I think in times of crisis you see you know, real leadership of, you know, people and companies. And I've just, I've been so happy to see how much great stuff is happening out there. I couldn't agree more with that, Josh. And to Josh's point, if you guys uh, head over to hazel.co, there's some great resources from their blog to kind of uh, parsing it out, whether you're a school, a family, or a provider, there's great ways to learn about how to interact with Hazel. We'll also be including all of these touch points online over at passionatepioneers.com in regards to when we list uh, this episode in there. There'll be a bunch of information to follow through and connect with Josh and his team over at Hazel. So thank you for that, Josh. And lastly, as we wrap up here, thanks again for everything that you and the team at Hazel are doing. These are some of our most important community members across the nation, our future, and they're our students. So thank you for everything you're doing at Hazel. Keep up the great work. Do continue to keep us posted here at Passion to Pioneers on how we can be supporting your incredible efforts. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.